love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski, one of your show hosts, and I'm here with my co-host, Haley Chura. Haley, I don't have a lot to talk about this week because as we talked about last week, I have I am in the thick of marathon training. So it's like getting to my bedtime pretty much because pretty much anytime I'm not running or eating is like bedtime in my mind. So I want to hear all about your life and what's been going on in Bozeman. My life. Oh my goodness. Um, snow, snow has been going on in Bozeman, but not that much snow, Alyssa. Um, just like dustings, which are, it's kind of nice because it's not that hard to run through. It's actually still pretty nice to run. And I do wear spikes, like micro spikes on my shoes when I run outside. And I basically, I think we talked about this last week. If I run outside, I'm running pretty slow, aerobic, um, slow does not mean easy all the time because when you are running in snow, it can be hard or I'm running on the treadmill, but, um, where I can do some faster things, but I will tell you a kind of funny story is that I have a sidewalk that runs right outside my condo and I watch it's, it's a fairly high pedestrian traffic sidewalk because not too far from a school, it leads to like some trails. And so I, try to keep it clear of snow because I, otherwise I just watch everyone slip and fall and I can't do it. Like I just, I can't do it. And so as long as I've lived here almost five years now, I think I've, I usually, if the people who are paid to like clear, if they don't do it, I will do it. And, um, because if it's only like less than two inches, they don't come. So I'll just go out there and sh- brush it off with a broom even. Sometimes I'm lazy. Like a, s- a shovel is too much work. A broom works just fine. But um, it's not like that much. But anyway, so I did it the other morning at like 9 a.m. And then I get this email from like the HOA being like, mystery shoveler. Who's the mystery shoveler who got up so early and swept <laughs> off the sidewalk before everyone? And I'm like... It is nice. Like, I will say it's nice, but I'm like, one, I did this at like 9 a.m. I waved to like four people while I was doing this. And two, I've done it like all the time. I'm like, who did they think was shoveling before? Or like, did they think that it's just the sun just like magically hit this area? Because this area also like it gets no sun. And so it will just turn to ice. And I just see these little children who are going to like this little like school and they're like slipping. And I'm like, I can't have that. Like, I can't have that. Like, my I conscience. need to put on my yak tracks to go past this, this section. <laughs> right. And then I, I'm a pedestrian. So I spend a lot of time like walking with cowboy and you know, you, when you walk past the people who haven't, like shoveled their walks or made any effort you know you kind of like turn your nose up at them a little bit like that house you're like oh and I don't want to be that house right and so even though it technically isn't my job because I live in a condo so it's like you know it's not my sidewalk but um I'm the mystery shoveler in case any of my neighbors are listening I don't think they are but you know there's I I cracked the case (laughs) I feel like maybe it hasn't well I guess You've been shoveling this season, right? Because I'm like, well, maybe everyone's just stuck inside more of a pandemic and like people are just getting like all more nosy and like interested this year in general, right? And using like, yeah. 
I so think that could be part now. of it that pe- more people noticed because they're more home this year. Like more people are at home where before I think it w- could have been just like, oh, maybe the wind blew it away while I was out. Um, <laughs> but I think. Or they um, noticed, but then they like got in their cars, went to work and then forgot by the time they came home. And then it was like right. a done deal. Right. It definitely could be. And also we haven't had as much snow this year. And so, honestly, I really haven't had to do it. It's actually been a lower snow year, and so I haven't been out there doing it as much. But, um, but it is, it is, it was kind of funny. I was like, this could, I mean, and also you can like, I, ha- I also keep like a bucket of like some ice melt and sand on my doorstep that you can like see from the road. Cause I also put that out there cause some of the places just get so icy. And again, like it's part of it's for me too. I walk that path quite frequently, and. I don't want to slip and fall. And so I'm like, this was a very easy, easy mystery to solve. But sometimes we need an easy mystery, right? But um, anyway, that's been the highlight of my week. (laughs) You should still respond and say that it is you and cupcakes can be delivered to your front door in a COVID safe manner. And you like red velvet. I would totally take cupcakes as payment. Yeah, especially like these days when I like don't necessarily want to make a trip to the cupcake store, but I and I am like you, all I want to do is sleep and eat. And so, and I'm always hungry, much like my dog Cowboy. Um I feel like we t- we definitely, you know how people say that like you and your dog look alike? Cowboy and I don't necessarily look alike, but we <laughs> our appetites are similar. Haley, though, ice, talking about ice has got me thinking because ice is, I'm like petrified of ice and I can understand why you would bike commute in places that get a lot of like snow and slippery situations out on roads because, um, I, I can't bike to my, well, I could bike to my pool, but it would take me two hours because it's 30 miles away. So in the mornings when I'm driving there, I'm like now terrified. We've had a lot of like weirdly wet like nights and then in the morning it's below freezing and so... I'm petrified of black ice and I've had two mornings now driving. So I take the eight, I like the 8 a.m. time slot at the pool because it's like the right time to get there. And like, I can do my a little bit of work and like Ramona chores, right. And still get to the pool on time for 8 a.m. And they, I've had two mornings now on the same stretch of road where there's been black ice and people ahead of me have gotten in an accident because of that. And so now I have to move my pool time back because I'm so petrified. So I need to wait until after like the morning morning thaw or whatever it is I don't know but um I that think, is I don't scary. think it's anyone's particular fault like I don't think anyone living on the I guess they could go out and throw some sand on the road for me or something or like use a it heat does sound like there isn't the infrastructure the ice for me I'm also guessing you don't have snow tires or studded tires or anything like that no I don't even know if it would really well I don't know does that help if it's black ice, because it's not a lot. And it's just like that thin little slippery layer, you know, and I drive like a SUV. So my car has is like top heavy. I think that's like probably the worst type of condition for the those roads. Snow tires help a lot. They help so much. But I will say you probably don't need them for all the time because they will like if you're driving on like dry roads, mostly they'll wear out <clears throat> faster. And then it might be Ill- even illegal to have like studded tires on dry roads around there. But um, I have studded tires even on my fat bike that I use for commuting because it helps with slip- slipping on ice like so much. And so hmm. I do I do bike commute a lot. I, I drive very, very, very little. I do have snow tires, but um, I just I don't enjoy driving 
in general and especially don't enjoy driving in the snow and I live in a place where everything is relatively compact and convenient so that helps a lot so I walk or I ride the bike a lot but I do studded tires and then I even put like I have spikes that I put on my shoes when I ride the bike because otherwise you can't put your foot down right when you have to stop because it's like ice underneath and so it's it's a bit of a process a little bit but it's also really fun and it's beautiful out. And it also, you know, it, it can help just like kind of help me like reset a little bit, you know, and just like get some of that cold air. Cause again, I'm not riding very far. I'll be like half a mile to the grocery store. <laughs> and then, but the only bad thing then is that like, I never want to buy anything heavy because I have to like ride back. <laughs> so um, I'm limited to what I can fit in my backpack, which the woman at the store is always like, I'm so impressed with how much you get in that backpack. And I'm like, yep, I know how to pack it. Cause I am, I am again, always hungry. And so I'm like, one more thing, one more thing. <laughs> but the key is to go with maybe light things. We would always call that when I lived in Baltimore city, we would call it macho shopping. Like I'm going to the, you tell your roommate, like I'm going to the grocery store, but I'm going macho shopping. So like, you can't give me a whole list of things. You can only give me something that's like really important. Cause I have to carry it all back. And generally we would be like, you know, I think sometimes I would be on my bike, but I actually had a couple bags on my bike so I could carry more if I was riding versus walking back from the grocery store. But macho shopping is, it's a good way to like, and you know, then you get a couple trips to the store and you can, you know, you don't have to do meal planning for too long. You can kind of spice up your week of what you're eating and stuff like that. But back to the ice, Haley. I, these cons- these suggestions are great, but I do think it's a little. It would be a little bit much for Virginia. But my, I'm just for the time being, I'll just be pushing my swim time back or driving really slow, and then everyone just goes around me, which is fine with me. If they want to be dangerous, they totally can push push the swim time back. I think that's worth it. Worth not getting in a accident for sure. And also the feeling of sliding on ice in a car the is worst. the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> it's like your adrenaline goes like so. <laughs> It's so bad. So bad. I don't even like like seeing slippery stuff when you're running. It's like, you know, car, foot, anything. I just get, yeah, my adrenaline goes through the roof. So I don't know. Little by little, I'm making my way through winter. Yeah. Have another cup of coffee in the morning. Um, You know, take give Ramona a few extra treats or a little bit longer walk, that kind of thing. You can, you can find something to, to, to spend the time and push it back a little bit. But, um, but it does sound like things are going well with marathon training for you. Do you have any fun workouts that you've done in the last week that you can share? So my long run this week went pretty well and I did 17 miles this week and I did like a, a few miles build to warm up and then went into six miles of uh, one mile or six times through. So 12 miles of one mile at marathon pace. So I was trying to run like 650 and then one mile of marathon pace plus a minute. So around 750 or so. And so I did that alternating those miles for 12 miles and then a mile cool down to total 17. And I tried this with five times through that round a couple weeks ago and kind of some of the numbers might have had to be fudged like a second here and there but it also felt awful to get through it a couple weeks ago and so this week felt way better and I felt like pretty strong running that through it and that was after a couple other bigger bigger workouts for me at like speed um, through the week so I was definitely tired going into it so that made me feel quite proud and I was thinking of you because it's like, okay, Sunday, like you have all day Sunday, you only have to run 17 miles and then you get like all day, you have like your list of things to do and accomplish in the day, right? And then 
you run those miles and I was like spent because it's so hard for me to run that pace like in any length of time like that and so then I was like well I guess I'm eating and going back to bed today (laughs) that is what happens uh that sounds like quite the run actually I'm thinking about my own long run this week and I did it in the snow it was quite icy I think i I'd have to look at what I averaged, probably closer to 12-minute miles, but it felt really good too. So there you go. It can, you know, you can do things different ways for sure. But um, that's, no, I'm glad. I like hearing about your training and how things are ticking along and we have our fingers crossed for that Myrtle Beach Marathon that it will happen. But um, we have a show this week too. I mean, we had to, I got to like keep us moving on. I wanted just to hear and chat about all of your, your running, but, um, we do have a show and we have a great interview this week of someone who, who excels at all conditions of running. So, um, I'm looking forward to it, but how about, uh, mailbag? How's our mailbag going? Yes. So Haley, we did get a mailbag question in this week and it corresponds very well with our guest. So we're gonna, we're going to read the mailbag question and we'll, we'll talk about our answers in this and then we will, um, you know, also give our mailbag writer inner to the task of listening to the interview because she'll get more input thereafter. So our mailbag this week came from Lindsay and Lindsay I guess we know pretty well around these live feisty parts <laughs> she wants to know um she signed up for a couple of multi-day mountain bike and gravel stage races this year that are happening where she lives so trans Rockies single track six trans Rockies gravel royale Ooh, that one sounds fun and the golden 24 hour but she still wants to re- weave in some Xterra off-road triathlons into the season So do we have advice on building both multi-day events and triathlons into a season, or is it better to focus on one over the other? Um, She spent, you know, a lot of last year with no triathlons, kind of exploring other endurance events. And so she's found a love of that, but also still does love triathlons. So she wants to make it all work. So Lindsay, Haley, should I, should I go ahead and take a stab at answering this? Yeah, I think you should definitely take a stab because I feel like you have more experience doing this kind of thing than I do. So, Lindsay, I would say I think there absolutely is a way to build them both in. And I think that the best way to do it is to be proactive, which it sounds like you are doing because you've already started thinking about this, right? And so you know, put out, put a calendar down in front of you on the table and like, look at the months, look at the time, like fill in the races that you already have signed up and kind of look at the blocks of time. Right. And so training for the multi-day type of events, um, you know, it would require a little bit more like strength training, just some longer days on the bike or hiking or, you know, however you kind of want to get yourself ready for like longer days back to back, um, on your body. Whereas like an Xterra triathlon is going to be more high-end, intense type of training. So those are two things that are great to have in any season, regardless of kind of what you want to do if you are an endurance athlete. But, you know, you it, it does kind of work to have it in a cyclical way, I've found, where you can kind of look at it and say, okay, this is going to be the build for the multi-day event, you know, these kind of this three month period. And then I'll give myself a little break and then, oh, here's an Xterra I like to do. So maybe I'll take the next six weeks 
and kind of give myself a break from some of the long stuff and focus on more intense efforts and getting my leg speed back up and getting that bike power back up and things like that that you'll want for the the shorter Xterra race. And so, and then I think it comes down to like sticking with that, you know, and I think I talk to a lot of people who kind of have this grand plan, but then they get carried away in the season and then they just, they forget that they had that plan and that structure kind of built in and they start to waver from that. And I think that's when it gets a little bit kind of messy um, in terms of just how your body will respond to being able to do all of that. Um, And then the last thing I'll say is that just do make sure you like schedule that time for kind of the rest and recovery, you know, blocks of time and making sure you just think about the kind of thing that gets you super motivated and also the kinds of things that really might burn you out and that you pay attention to that and give yourself some leeway in the weeks after doing some of the things that might burn you out to give you time to recharge as well so that you're then fired up to go after the next project. So it's really easy to have all these like big things, but you know, when you start getting into multi-day events and especially if you haven't been doing them for a long time, it might take a lot more energy out of you and you don't, you know, you don't want to, you don't need to burn yourself out of it because there are a lot of races to be done and there's a lot of fun to be had out there. And so, and they all, you know, there will be other races happening in the years to come too. So just be careful of the burnout factor, I think is a thing too. Yeah. that the recovery part would be the part that I would, I thought like, I thought of immediately and I don't have experience doing multi-day races, but I've coached some athletes who have. And I think my, I like your calendar idea. I also think maybe like decide, is there an A race in here? Like, is there a race that's most important, which could be a stage race or it could be an Xterra triathlon. And I know it's a little bit hard right now. And we don't know if these triathlons are going to happen or any of these races are going to happen. But I think you know, even if the shorter race is your, if the shorter race is your A race, I think you train mostly for that. And then probably don't want to do a stage race two weekends before, um, you know, but you might be able to use that fitness from that shorter race and then go to a stage race afterwards and just see how it goes and just eat all you can, even though you maybe haven't done nighttime rides and that kind of thing and just see how it goes. Um, but if you decided that the longer the stage race was your A race, Maybe you throw the Xterra in there as like a fun training day that's at higher intensity, but you don't necessarily taper for it. You just do it as a fun a fun day or you even put it into a big training weekend. So if you do the Xterra race on Saturday and then you go ride for a couple more hours after, go eat a big meal, um, you know, go do a night ride and then you sleep the rest of the week. So I don't know. Those were just my thoughts as a coach. Um, if there was a way to work it in, um, something like that. But it sounds like, like Alyssa said, you have a right mindset that you're already thinking about this. And then the theme of of 2020 into 2021, I think is, uh, we had to all be flexible, right? So if anything else, you know, go with the flow and I like the recovery. I'm always big on the recovery plan, but thank you for the question, Lindsay. And if anyone else, we do have a couple more, I believe in our mailbag that we haven't gotten to, but we will in the next couple of weeks. So thank you to everyone who has sent in questions. And if anyone else wants to send them in, we will, we will get to them eventually. We promise the address is ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And Haley, we mentioned this already, but Lindsay is getting a third 
answer and input because that's a very similar question to one that we asked our Iron Women podcast guest today. And we talked to Carla Molinaro and Carla is on today to tell us about her kind of COVID project that she took in 2020. Um, She's a Hoka-sponsored ultra runner from Great Britain and from the UK. And she you know, like the rest of us last year found that her races were not on the calendar anymore. So she was looking for this project to do. And she definitely found one because Haley, she ran from Land's End to John O'Groats, which is called the Lay Jog Route. And this runs the length of Great Britain. And so for our listeners who might need a little bit um, more information, I've looked this all up for you. So Great Britain is an island separated from the European mainland by the English Channel and the North Sea. It comprises the nations of England, Scotland, and Wales. And so Carla ran this route from south to north, if you want to kind of have that visual in your mind going. And she set a world record for running this route, which is about 824 miles or 1,327 kilometers. And she did this in 12 days, 30 minutes, and 14 seconds. And Haley, that's a really long time to be running. So we were super pumped to talk to Carla. There is a documentary out. We've mentioned it in, and we'll put the link in the show notes. And so do also check out Every Step on YouTube. Um, You can watch it before, or if you're just already into this interview, just keep rolling with the interview, but make sure you pull up the documentary right after this. Haley, I've been doing some research on winter adventures and hiking, and guess what one of the most important gear pieces is for winter hiking? Hmm, a really warm coat, snowshoes, an ice axe? Okay, well, maybe those, but also sunscreen. It's not just a summer product, and that is why my Zelios Sun Barrier is still at the top of my pack. Thanks for the tip, Alyssa. If any of our listeners want to top off their hiking packs with Zilio's Sun Barrier or their gym bags with Zilio's Race Relief Recovery Gel, Swim and Sport Shower Products, or Betwixt Anti-Chafe Chamois Cream, use code IRONWOMEN for 20% off at teamzilios.com. We know many of you are working with limited pool time and schedules these days. Thanks, COVID. Is it over yet, Haley? No, I think we still have a ways to go, but we do recommend our listeners check out Form Swim Goggles. These goggles have a smart display so you can see the metrics you need in the moment. They even can show distance in open water swimming now. It's a great way to enhance your swim and maximize that limited time. Head to formswim.com to get your hands on these innovative goggles and make the most of the swim time you have. Hi, Carla. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. We're really excited to talk to you. A good friend of the podcast, pro triathlete Caroline Livesey, she sent us an email about you and she called you the feistiest women woman she knows. So we're really happy to have you on today. And so this was Caroline's reaction to your recent record setting run on the iconic I think I'm saying this right, Lay Jog route, and it runs from Land's End at the southwestern point of England, and you run north to John O'Groats in Scotland at the northeastern tip of Great Britain. So Caroline's husband, Mark Livesey, also a friend of the podcast, he documented your run in this documentary film, 
every step, which we encourage all of our listeners to go watch on YouTube. But I'd love to hear more about the route. So when we did a quick Google search, it seemed like this route is mostly done by cyclists, but you decided to run it. So can you tell us about your decision? Yeah, so it was um, as the world was kind of going into lockdown, I decided that I needed a project to go and do um, just because all my races were getting cancelled. And I don't know, I started looking at maps and a map of Great Britain just jumped out at me and I thought it would be a good idea to try and go and run it. Um, (laughs) To be honest, before I started, I didn't really realise how many people actually went and did it every year. And it turns out that it's almost like this pilgrimage, like you said, mainly for cyclists to go and see the whole of the UK. Um, And yeah, on my way up, I got to see loads of cyclists that were doing it as well. A guy pushing himself along on a skateboard, a couple of people walking it. So yeah, it it was really cool to see like such a mixture of people giving this route a bash. And then for cyclists, I imagine the route is pretty set in terms of like the road, the best roads to take to get from point A to point B. And for people who would run it, you know, is there rules about like, did you have to stay directly on that route? Could you go whichever way you wanted as long as you started A and ended up B? And did you like, yeah, did you do a lot of research? It sounds like if people are using it as a pilgrimage, you know, had other people kind of hiked it even that you looked at their routes to see? Yeah, so the only rules are that you have to start at this signpost in Land's End and finish at the signpost at John O'Groats, or you can do it the other way around. Um, And your route in the middle, you can only use like public roads, paths or footpaths, so you can't go into private land. Um, But apart from that, you make up your own route. You go however you want. And I basically drew a line on the map and made the shortest possible way that I could go which meant that I was on some pretty horrible busy like motorway dual carriageway type roads for for quite a lot of it um I think when the cyclists do it and if I was doing it not for a record like for a bit more fun I would probably go the more scenic route which is obviously a little bit further but probably a bit more enjoyable And it looks like this record was first set on the female side in 2008 by Mimi Anderson in 12 days, 15 hours and 46 minutes. And it wasn't until 2019 that Sharon Gator bested that in 12 days, 11 hours and six minutes. And now your record is set at 12 days, 30 minutes and 14 seconds. So, you know, were you able to kind of use bits and pieces that from from their record setting runs? Were there other attempts of people going to break a record that you were able to learn from at all in this planning? Or did you not even have time? It sounds like you kind of decided to do this quite quickly. So maybe the planning side got cut short and you just focused on the training. Yeah, I had, I gave myself three months um, just because that's when I started planning and I decided I wanted to finish it on my birthday. I thought that would be a really nice birthday present. Um, Turns out it wasn't. Um, (laughs) It was very painful. Um, But luckily I had a Skype chat with Mimi um, and she gave me a ton of advice, which is awesome. I had a couple of emails back and forth with Sharon um, about their planning Um, both of them on their attempts had gone and wrecked the whole route and driven the whole thing, but I didn't have time to do that. Um, So that is one part of the planning that I kind of let slip. 
But I also spoke to a couple of other people that had done it before, a guy called Dan Lawson, who had tried to attempt it the year before me. And he basically said, I'd originally planned to go the opposite way. So from Scotland down to England. And he said when he did it that way, like the headwinds and stuff were horrific because the wind in the UK tends to go south to north. Um, so on that bit of advice, I actually ended up changing the way that I was going. Um, and then Dan actually two weeks or like 10 days after me ended up getting the men's record. So um, that was quite cool. Um, but yeah, there wasn't that much to plan. But luckily, you know, with these things, anyone that's done it before, like goes above and beyond to help. And that was, you know, getting their little nuggets of information or little gems that they had from their attempts. Everyone kind of has something different that you can take from that. And I think that helps with your planning and how you do things. Were both of the women's records set going north to south or south to north prior um, so to yours? Sharon had actually done it twice. So she had at one point had the record in both directions. Um, and Mimi had set hers going north to south. It's, I, yeah, the headwind situation is crazy. <laughs> that would yeah. not be a fun, like, 10 days or whatever to be running into a headwind. I don't like that for an hour. <laughs> and that's like, if someone's going to say you can make your life easier doing something like this, then I'll take that. What about the climbing descent? Because if my math is right on here, this the Lejog route that you took, it covered over 1,300 kilometers or 800 miles, more than 800 miles, and included more than 12,000 meters or roughly 40,000 feet of climbing. But from the documentary, it also looked like it included a fair amount of descent. And those downhills looked like they took a toll on your quads and shins, especially in the first couple days of your run. So I think your plan was to run more than 100 kilometers or around 70 miles per day. So can you talk to us through the physical challenges of those early days? And like, how did you work through those early aches and pains to keep yourself going? Yeah, to be honest, so the first bit starts in Cornwall, and I don't know why, but I just didn't think it was going to be that hilly down there, and it was the hilliest part of the whole route. Like, you end up going through the Lake District, which is known for its hills, the Highlands in Scotland, which is known for its hills, and they were not even nearly as hilly as the first couple of days. So, yeah, the first two days in Cornwall and Devon completely smashed my legs up, Um just because I was also probably fresh and I thought I was running slowly and I wasn't. Um, so I did do probably a bit of damage to them. But to be honest, like it's such a fine line between like slowing down and because you because I was already going like a minute and a half per kilometre slower than I would on an easy run. So it felt super easy. Um, and so, yeah, I got that Dom's feeling in my quads pretty much after lunchtime on the first day so after the first like 50 miles which was fun um and then that stayed um and yeah that pretty much hurt for the next yeah 12 days um it did kind of move around my body a little bit so one day it was my calves then it was my quads then it was my hamstrings then it was my shin um but I had some guys helping me with sports massage which was awesome like I got loads of that like before we started each day at lunchtime and at the end of the day. Um, and the biggest thing I felt is that I needed help with like mobility, um, just someone stretching my legs because I couldn't actually, after a couple of days, like reach down and grab my foot um, just because you're so stiff. So, yeah, like that part of it was was pretty helpful. But 
I don't know, like, I knew that it was going to hurt. So for me, a lot of this project was just accepting that I was going to be in a world of pain for 12 days. And then hopefully it would end once I got to the finish. Do you think that that terrain would would impact the direction if you were to do it again would you would you give the headwinds up or take on the headwinds to to save the hills for the end when your legs are a little bit when you're already kind of smashed or do you think that direction is is worth it to get the hills out of the way in the beginning yeah I think it's worth it and because like the first two days you're on a proper dual carriageway which is like so boring where the last two days in Scotland you're in the highlands and it's so pretty so like when you're really feeling it, actually getting to Scotland and having that nicer scenery for me made it a bit nicer instead of just going down this busy dual carriageway with cars flying past you. You were still on a dual carriageway, but it was a lot more scenic. And what about prepping for that? Is there anything you can do? I mean, is there anything you can do in your training? I know you didn't have a whole long lineup, but or is that just like mental, just telling yourself, oh, it's going to hurt. You're going to get through this. Yeah, for me, for training for something like this, there's such that fine line between like preparing yourself as well as you can and injuring yourself. And so I built up to four like 50k days uh, back to back. Um, And with that, that's kind of the longest I got to because I ran out of time, but I probably wouldn't go much further than that anyway, because I think it's going to hurt. Like you can do as much training as, as you want, but until you get into like the routine of these type of things, like your body doesn't really adapt to it anyway. So for me, it was like, well, just got to suck it up (laughs) a little bit. And I think from like the books I've read from other people that have done, you know, like run across America and stuff like this, it's not until there are a couple of weeks into like epic runs that your body starts settling down anyway. Um, so cause this was 12 days, I was like, well, you just have to embrace it. And Carla, I know from my own multi-day adventures that people love to ask about two things. And so that means our listeners love to hear about two things, which is sleeping and eating. So yeah. can you tell our listeners what your st- sleep strategy was through this? Yeah. So I woke up at four o'clock every morning and I started running by five. So I'd use that hour to like figure out how to walk again, eat breakfast, get changed, all that sort of stuff. And then I'd pretty much go through till 10 o'clock at night and then try and be in bed by 11 p.m. Um, The thing is, like. Your legs are just so sore that you can't actually sleep. Um, and it feels like someone's like almost stabbing you into your hip flexors. So, and every time you turn in the night, you wake up. Um, but as long as I was like lying down for that five hours, I felt like my body was resting and I was getting off my feet. So that was how much I pretty much slept until the last day where I went all the way through the night. I didn't sleep for 24 hours. Um, just because at that point I just wanted to finish. Um, I didn't want to go to bed for one more day. And then eating, I would have like a big breakfast porridge um, with berries and stuff for breakfast. Um, After about three hours, I'd have a fried egg sandwich. Lunchtime, I'd have a bowl of pasta. Dinner, I would have pizza or pasta or whatever we had. And then every 30 minutes throughout the day, I ate something. So I set an alarm on my watch and it just beeped and it just said eat. And I'd have like a peanut butter sandwich, a sausages yogurt fruit um like just think of like a huge buffet just like 
all different food all through the day. And then I set another alarm on my watch that said drink um, every 10 minutes. Um, and then I was using noon. So I was drinking that and water throughout the day. That's pretty much what I did every day. And then it got to about day eight and I started to get ulcers inside my mouth from eating and drinking so much, which was not much fun um, because then like eating just became painful. But, you know, you have to do it. So, <laughs> but yeah, like the eating strategy for me worked so well because I never hit a wall, should we say. I never bonked. I never had a lag in energy like at one point during the run. So I think that was pretty good. And during your run, you actually crossed paths with the previous record holder, Sharon Gator. And so she came out to see you. What was that moment like? So, yeah, so she was standing in a lay-by and I'm like running down the road. I was like, oh, my God, that's Sharon. Um, and then as I ran past her, she just like watched me like as I ran past, didn't say anything. Neither of us said anything. And I was like, oh, my God, that's so scary. Um, and then we stopped um, to have like a break mid-morning and then she came there and brought me a cake um and came and said hello and like that was awesome and then came and ran with me that afternoon so yeah in the beginning I was like oh my god she's just watching me <laughs> and then, um she came for a run so there yeah that was really nice um but I, I like remember saying to her like oh did your legs hurt when you did this like were you in this much but she's like no I was fine and I'm like really really were you but I think you even now I've forgotten what that pain was like so I think you just you're like yeah it wasn't that bad it was <laughs> and speaking of being watched um as we mentioned there they made a documentary every step out of your run so what was it like to have it all being filmed and like do you think it was helpful to know that this footage would be shown to the world afterwards and like did that help you keep it together during some hard moments or was it did you just forget it was there at all yeah I just forgot it was there like it didn't really um affect anything that I did I just thought it would be a nice like memory to have once we had finished and I was quite lucky I'd had I did a run in South Africa a couple of years ago where some guys came and filmed that as well. So I think I'd kind of got used to someone filming you as you're you're crying and <laughs> feeling a bit emotional. So you just you almost just ignore like the person with the camera in your face. It's fine. Like, yeah, it wasn't really anything I thought about. I feel like there weren't that many tears when I watched it. I mean, I was surprised. Like, I feel like I would be much more emotional. I feel like you were just like. You looked good the whole time. So I had like every day I cried, but it was like for about two minutes. It was just like this build up of the day. I would just cry for a couple of minutes and then I'd be like, OK, I'm fine. It so was be just, at the end of the day, like the, the release kind of. Yeah, it was just oh, like interesting. Of everything like, OK, cool. It's done. Let's go. And it was quite weird. It was just like I just needed to be left to cry for a minute and then I was fine. <laughs> And so 12 days straight of movement like this could be, would be tough for anyone, but the documentary did a really good job of showing how hard it was on your support team. And just, you know, they, they really did a lot of work and they got tired as well. So mm. what was it like for you in the moment while you're running? Are you thinking about your support team at all? Or was this, you just had to put every brain cell toward forward movement and you just kind of let them deal with it themselves? 
Yeah, that I tried to tell them like before we started because none of them had done anything like this before. So I tried to tell everyone like this is hard, like it is a really hard job and you guys all need to like work together and have time off and schedule that in. Um, and I could see, yeah, massively, I could see looking out that they were all getting tired. And I was getting to the point where I was like, guys, like you need to take the afternoon off. And they're like, oh, we can't. I'm like, you can. That's why there's five or six of you, <laughs> you know, but I'm like, I can't organize this for you. You need to sort it out, but you all need to take it in turns to take a day off. And I think that's one big thing because of COVID, we couldn't actually have like a practice weekend where I think doing something like this, getting all your crew together, let, letting everyone practice everything and saying, showing everyone like how hard it is before you start something is actually really important so they get into the flow and because the restrictions for us to start were only released like two days before we started it meant we couldn't get everyone together so we couldn't even have that hey let's all get together for around the same table and have a chat like we were having zoom calls but it's not the same thing as getting everyone in the same room together so yeah, I, I could definitely see everyone was getting tired. And like at one point my sister was helping and then I, she was getting upset just because she was so tired. And then I was like to the guys, like she needs to go to a hotel, like take her to sleep. And they were like, oh, she won't go. I was like, just put her in the car and take her there. Like, and then they put her in the car. I was like, just don't give them the choice. Um, because I was like, I would much rather you be on the ball than you're, you being tired. And how did COVID like impact this you've done other adventure runs but that is I mean besides the zoom meetings I mean I'm imagining just prepping and the COVID restrictions getting lifted only two days before I mean did you even know your start date was like a hard start date or were you just trying to go with the flow and be flexible so yeah I picked the date and then I was just like hoping that it would be okay like we had a rough backup of September like if it couldn't go ahead we would move it to September um but most people, I was just lucky that at that point, people had the time off work. My sister's a teacher, so she was on school holidays. Um, it just kind of fitted in with everyone's diary. So I just carried on planning and training and just hoped it would all work. And yeah, literally two days before the restrictions in Wales and Scotland were, were lifted so we could go through them. So I was a, a little bit nervous. And also with Guinness, so to get to apply for a world record, you have to apply 12 weeks before and I applied I had 13 weeks so it was a bit nerve-wracking because I'd like told sponsors and people that were helping me like yeah I'm going for a world record but Guinness hadn't yet said you can go for a world record so and that that only came through five days before I started so I was a little bit nervous and then when I got that I was like okay <laughs> we're good to go and speaking of the, I wanted to ask you about more about kind of the process, because before I ran an FKT here, um, you know, I looked into the process briefly and then I think I just got like overwhelmed. I was like, oh, this is a little too much. Like, you know, and I, I didn't end up doing it. And so, you know, I don't think people really would appreciate like the work that it, it takes to get this as an official record in the Guinness Book of World Records. So can you tell us about like what goes into that whole process? Yeah, I think if I was to do this again, I would go the FKT route because it is a lot less admin. Like you still have to record what you're doing and you have to write a blog of the journey and document it. But for Guinness, you have to have um, witnesses throughout the day. 
Um, so you have to have, I think it's roughly 10 witnesses a day to say that they saw you running past them. They have to document where that was. Um, a logbook of what you did. So literally this time at this grid reference, we woke up. Um, at this time, at this location, we started, we stopped for lunch. We And you have to get other people to sign it to say that they saw you stopping and saw you starting again. Um, and then... Um, you have to have photographs all along the way and like just little things like you have to name every single photograph. So you have to be like three miles down the A10. <laughs> so like all that just takes such a long time. And then 10 minutes of footage every day um, of you, yeah, film it like running along the road. Um, pictures of you going past like town names um, to prove that you went through the town and then a GPS track um, of the whole route um, to show that you did the full thing. So it was pretty much one person's job to do to do all of that and collect everything because it's just it's an admin nightmare um, and it well, almost makes it like not fun. <laughs> and it's funny because you think okay just grab some footage grab some pictures along the way right down the end it's like no you know to grab a picture at that exact moment when you're at the sign you know and not have to make you go back to do it right like it's actually really, I mean, yeah, it definitely takes a lot of work. So I'm not surprised that you kind of had someone dedicated to that throughout. Did you have them? It sounds like, did you have to have like random witnesses and stuff throughout that you just kind of saw you on the street and someone would go up to them and say, can you sign this log book? Yeah. Which obviously during COVID when no one wants to talk to each other is quite difficult. So you're like, Hey, please, can you sign my book? Um, <laughs> so some people were like, yeah, sure. And other people were like, uh, no chance. Um, so there's a bit of a mix. And then, yeah, you had to have completely independent witnesses that were like a professional in the community to witness the start and the finish. So they had to be like teachers, a police officer, something like that. To, and you're like, hi, please, can you come at 5 a.m.? <laughs> yeah. So you're like calling up like the police department before you get out there and you're asking a police officer to come out and like certify your start. Yeah. But luckily they were like, yeah, sure. You're like, okay. And they're like, I can bring my friend. I'm like, brilliant. <laughs> wow. So yeah, like how people just support you. Um, like it's so cool. And it like the route, it seems like a lot of it was fairly urban, but some of it was more rural, which I imagine it might be harder to get like those witnesses during those areas. But I am just curious about people on the route. Did you... Did you like having people run with you or did you just want to be by yourself? Or, I mean, it sounds like you needed people. So were you ever running and being like, where's a witness? <laughs> um, so a bit of a mix. So I did really like um, people running with me in the mornings. Um, but it got to like about five o'clock in the evening where I just couldn't be bothered to talk to any anyone anymore. And I know that sounds a bit mean, but I was like, I was tired. Um, you've been you know, you've had about 10 different people running with you through the day and you've been answering like similar sort of questions because everyone's kind of interested. Like you said before, like, what are you eating? What are you running? Do your feet hurt? You're like, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we'd get to like the evening, like early evening. And I was like, just leave. Like, I just wanted to run and just be on my own. Um, and so it was quite good. We had said in the beginning, like anyone come and join. And then after a couple of days, we put a thing out on social media because I felt a bit bad. I had these like guys come and run with me and then they're like how you doing I'm like fine they're like are you tired I'm like yep 
I just didn't want to talk to them. And I was like, talk to the cyclist because you can distract. It distracts me. Um, so after that, we said, please come and run until 5 p.m. Um, and then I just got and then I had a couple of friends who wanted to run with me in the evening. But it's a lot easier when it's a friend to be like, look, I don't really want to talk to you, but it would be nice if you talk to the cyclist because it's takes a, I can listen to what you're saying. But to a complete stranger, it's a bit harder to be like, thanks for coming. I don't want to talk to you. <laughs> Did anyone unexpected show up or anyone like, did you have anyone in costumes or anything? Do they do that in the UK? Um, one of my friends came in a cape. So that was nice. Um, I was like, that's someone wearing a cape. Okay. But the thing was like, people would just like literally jump out of bushes. So you're running down the road and someone would just appear from a bush. Like, and you're just like, where have you come from? Like that was hilarious. And a really nice thing was that so many of my old friends came to say hi. Like people I hadn't seen for like 10 years would like one of my friends, Fee, did like a four hour round trip to come and find me and just give me a cupcake. So she's like, here's a cupcake. I was like, do you want to come with? She's like, oh, no, I can't. I was like, OK, thanks. Um, and it was like all those little things where, you know, you hadn't seen someone for so long. And that, you know, one of my friends, Cressy, I hadn't seen her again for about 10 years and came and cycled with me and her daughter for like two hours um so that aspect of it was was really nice and quite special that you know your friends see you doing this and make the effort to come and find you and carly you mentioned in an interview on runnersworld.com that your favorite bit of the trip was the off-road portion of trail as you went over the pentlands so is it possible to do this route almost entirely off-road i know you kind of mentioned the scenic route but like is you know how much of that really is would be on your radar now to do yeah so I think that has been a couple of people that have done it completely off-road um, but I think that's probably going to take you more around 30 days um, just because the terrain's so different you're going through gates you're jumping over styles you're the terrain's a lot less um, forgiving but I would yeah I would love to do the off-road version I think it would be incredible and it would be nice to like slow it down a bit and I was going very slowly anyway but you know to really enjoy it maybe you do like a marathon distance a day because you can do that in a day comfortably while still stopping and having a sandwich on the side of the road and chatting to people a bit more you, you know remember. you're an ultra runner when you're like a comfortable marathon a day <laughs> that is um, but I am I do want to hear more about your recovery so you cover this more than 1300 kilometers more than 800 miles of running with very little sleep over 12 days how did you recover from that yeah so I decided to take six weeks off running um so for me I kind of know like how important recovery is and even when you can't, you feel fine physically, like actually you almost destroy your hormones um, quite a bit doing something like this. So I took six weeks off running completely. Um, after about four weeks, I started cycling um, just to get my legs moving. And then after six weeks, I did about a week, I think it was maybe 10 days of run walk first. And then I started running again after that. So, uh, yeah, I was really conscious to, like, build it up really slowly. And because I was like, there's nothing else on. So I have no rush to get back into training. And I think it was probably good to do it in a year like this year 
instead of normally where race organizers might be like hey you've done this come and do my race and I probably would have been tempted to be like yeah okay where there wasn't anything so I could really take that time to recover properly and just let everything settle in my body and then by the time I got back to running I really wanted to run was it hard in those first like day or so afterwards to like to sleep normally like did you feel like you were still out there after you know 12 days is quite a long time to be getting up running and doing nothing else so was it hard to just like turn your brain off from that yeah it was and my whole body just swelled up like I think it's like that shock as soon as you finish your your body knows that you finished so everything was swollen everything was sore um it took us two days to drive home um so because it turns out scotland's like really big and it's really far and bless them like we stayed at, at this hilton hotel halfway down and they're like we've upgraded you to like a deluxe room to say congratulations i was like oh thank you that's amazing i got in and the room was huge and the toilet and the bathroom was like eight miles away and i was like <laughs> please can you downgrade me to your smallest room because you couldn't walk like it was so painful <laughs> like any step was just so sore um so yeah it was it was just sore probably for about a week afterwards and then I just felt like jet lagged for about two weeks where you've had like 12 days of sleep deprivation basically so yeah I was just I was just really really tired um and it took probably two weeks to catch up on that sleep. And this wasn't your first adventure. On your website, you actually have a whole adventures tab. It includes <laughs> things that are on, you know, would be on each one would be on anyone's uh, bucket list. Tour de Mont Blanc, the Haute Route, GR20. Do you have a favorite or is it always like the most recent is your favorite? So no, I think the Tour of Mont Blanc is my favorite. Um, it's, I did it, I've done it twice, once by myself and once with a group of friends. I took them out there afterwards over four days and it is just stunning. Like the course for anyone like wanting to get into an adventure, it's like such a nice way to start because the whole route is marked. So you don't have to, I'd never done anything really before, um, going and doing this and I didn't feel like completely out of my comfort zone. Um, they have these refuges in France and Switzerland and Italy where you stay, um, where at seven o'clock at night, everyone comes together in a big room and has dinner together. So there's people that are like hiking the route and doing it quickly and doing it slowly. And you sit next to some random person and hear their story of the day and eat like amazing food. And then you slog it up these massive hills, but then you get to the top and like the views are amazing. Um, and yeah, for me, it's it was such a fun thing to do. And that's almost like I don't really want to do the UTMB race because like for me doing that over four days is so nice that I don't want to ruin it. <laughs> I want to kind of keep it as this like nice four day adventure and not thinking of sitting on a rock crying because it hurts so much. <laughs> And what about 2021? I know it's kind of a weird time um, with COVID still on the rise in, in many places in the world and no one's really sure what the race schedules will bring. But, you know, are you starting to plan anything or do you have kind of an alternate adventure that you might push ahead if COVID allows? Well, I'm actually going to be coming out to America in two weeks to race at the Hoka on a, on a um, Carbon X um, race that they're doing. So that's 100K um, in 
two, three weeks time. Um, so hopefully I'll get to come there and do it, but who knows? Um, and with that, I'm trying, well, I'm going to attempt to break the British and the European record. Um, so it's gone, I've gone from running as slowly as human possible to trying to run as fast as I possibly can. Um, <laughs> so that's been quite interesting. And then I want to go and do um, a route called the GR10 in the summer, which is across the Pyrenees from the Atlantic to the Med. Um, and it goes over the mountains. Um, I just want to do that just by myself, like with a backpack and probably try and do an FKT, um, but self-supported, um, just, you know, freestyle a little bit more and hopefully enjoy it whilst I like that element of like pushing myself, but still trying to enjoy it at the same time. So hopefully get a bit of that that balance in there. Carla, when you mentioned balance, do you have tips for anyone who wants to kind of do these adventures like you mentioned and also race fast, maybe not quite at your extreme level, but, but even just, you know, combining trail running into your 5k training. I mean, how would you uh, like, do you have any tips for the average runner? Yeah, I think firstly, like you can do both. I think there's so many people that are like, oh, you can either race or go on an adventure and you can do both. You just have to like decide at what point of the year you want to do those things and you might need to space them out. So like say the first half of your year is for racing and the second half is for adventures. Um, and that's generally how I try and try and do it. Um, I think mixing up the terrain, doing stuff on the road and the trails, you know, it keeps your your body strong it keeps you motivated it makes it a little bit more fun than just smashing out the same miles like on a road all the time and then something that I do like strength conditioning and yoga um, I think adding those elements into your training learning to like balance on one leg and hop and squat and do all all that sort of stuff kind of keeps any any niggles and stuff away so you do have to to care for your body a little bit as well if you want to go and do crazy races but yeah jot the things down that you want to do and yeah try to do different things because it makes it more fun than just doing the same 5k every week Carla thanks so much for joining us we will link to your website and to the documentary film every step by brick sessions that everyone needs to watch and get inspired from and Carla just thanks so much for for telling us more about the story there thank you thanks for having me on it was lovely to chat This is Haley. I'm really excited to welcome a new Ironman podcast sponsor, Prevenix. Prevenix makes premium, clinically effective nutritional supplements that promote longevity, performance, and everyday health, and also donates vitamins to malnourished children with every customer order. My current favorite Prevenix product is Joint Health Plus. The main active ingredients are clinically proven to reduce joint pain, reduce joint stiffness, improve joint flexibility in seven to 10 days, and protect joint cartilage from breakdown during exercise. So whether joint pain has you moving a little slow at the door on your morning run, or you just wanna be sure you can keep the current pep in your step, head to Prevenix.com and use the code IRONWOMAN15 to get 15% off your order. If by chance you don't feel any benefits, Prevenix offers a 100% refund, no questions asked. That's Prevenex, P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com and discount code IRONWOMAN15.
The Iron Women Podcast wants to give a huge shout out to Orca Sportswear for their continued support in 2021. As someone who isn't a natural born swimmer, my choices for swim gear are super important. Orca has me ready to battle for every second I need in the water with the open water, triathlon, and swim run wetsuits. They also have safety buoys, goggles, cold water caps, and booties. You name it, they have it. The code IRONWOMEN15 will get you 15% off, so head to orca.com today and let's get ready to swim in 2021. Okay, Haley, well, I just touched base with Carla over email, and I know that she made it to the U.S., and the race is on for this Saturday. That's great, the 100K, and and I think you, or she said she wanted to go for that British record in the 100K, and offline, we asked what that was, and it it's like just over seven hours, I believe, and so her goal is to break seven hours, so... Seven hours of running sounds like a lot to me, but to someone whose last race was 12 days long, seven hours is pretty quick. So um, I'm excited to watch. I hope, is there yeah. a live stream? Do you know? There is supposed to be, I, I, I don't know. I think the last Hoka live stream event similar to this just had like the start finish area, I want to say. I'm not sure how much else we got to see. I don't remember getting to see a lot. So, but it's been quite some time since that. So maybe they, they're beefing up the live coverage. There will be like a link to something and we'll try and dig that up and post that in the show notes for people. I also saw that um, Sika Henry, who has been a guest on the Iron Women podcast and she will be running as well, um, sponsored by Hoka and she'll be there running the 100K as well. So there's going to be, I think a lot of other people we might recognize nice too it's a fun way to fill some hours on your Saturday by by watching that and I can say I'll, I'll be cheering for Carla because that kind of a turnaround to find speed like that after a 824 mile run a few months ago is very impressive so um, Carla thanks for telling us all about your run last summer and then good luck on Saturday and we will be cheering for you Yes, we will. Alyssa, I hope you get some sleep and uh, enjoy your, you know, all your run workout. Bye, Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Live Feisty Media and is edited by Lindsay Glassford. Thank you to our sponsors, Noon Hydration, Prevenix, Zelio Skincare, Form Swim Goggles, and Orca Sportswear. You can find all websites and discount codes in our show notes at ironwomenpodcast.com.